The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. So as I think through uh, my childhood, if I had to pick one particular toy that I liked the most and that I still like the most, it would be Legos. I've told this uh, to you before. Um, I uh, am glad that my children are finally at the age where um, I can play Legos with them. Although if I'm honest, really they're just playing Legos with me. And um, you know, I just kind of get lost in it sometimes and don't even know where the kids went. And um, so, but I love Legos. And um, but recently came across in um, some business periodicals, they've written extensively as a case study, the corporation of Lego. And partially because Lego is one of the most well-known brands globally. And so there's a lot of business insight that they've gained from this, not just as a toy company, but as um, an impressive global corporation. They might be they're the leader in their industry. They're one of the most, if not the most, recognized toy brand. And if it's still hard for you to glean business insights from a toy company, consider this. They estimate that there are enough Lego pieces in the world on this planet, there are enough Lego pieces for every single human to have 52 pieces all their own. And you can do a lot with 52 pieces, okay? <laughs> they also say, I thought this was fascinating, Lego is the leading tire manufacturer of any company globally. They make all of these little tires, and because of that, they make more tires than any other corporation, okay? So they lead that industry as well, all right? Lego's an impressive company, but they almost came to bankruptcy not too long ago, and so they and and then they bounced back, and so um, a lot of uh, business uh, thinkers have looked into this. Say, hey, what happened? How did they how did they nearly crash, and then how did they rebound? And the case studies on it are fascinating. And one of the things that went wrong that they eventually fixed is that they, as they were seeing so much success they started uh, making more and more creative sets and they started producing and manufacturing more and more unique pieces. And to make a unique piece, that costs more. So that was straining their business model. If you can make, uh, if most of the pieces are the same for all the different sets, you don't have to create more molds and more designs. Um, you can, it actually costs less. But as you make more and more and more unique pieces, it actually costs more. And because they were having so much success, they stopped paying close attention to each individual set that they were making. And it got to the place where some of the sets had so many unique pieces that they actually lost money every time they sold it. And so it's a fascinating case study on how success can actually make us careless on our efficiency. They're actually costing themselves money, and it wasn't until they almost crashed that they had to revisit the efficiency of each set and dramatically reduce the number of unique pieces that they were making, and that was one of the things that helped them get back on track. But here's what had happened. I mean, think about what had happened. You know, their outcome as a company is to be as profitable as possible. That is their key outcome. And as they had gotten successful, they had stopped holding all of their individual projects accountable to that chief outcome. They, had a, they were doing a lot of things and making a lot of things and diversified widely. 
and they had done so many things under the brand of Lego, they were no longer linking it to that key outcome. So business wisdom would be, and really just organizational leadership wisdom in general, is that just being busy, just being active, that's not a strategic recipe for success. If you go into your, your business, your company, your branch, whatever your sphere of influence, your team, you don't want to just be busy and active. You don't want to just fill up the hours of the week. No, you want to have an outcome and you want to align all your activities to reaching that outcome. Okay, this is probably well-traveled material if you've done any kind of um, training as a leader or as a manager. We know how to think strategically like that at our job. We know how to think strategically like that professionally. We know how to say, look, when I go to work, I'm going to be outcomes-based. We as a company, as a team, as a branch, uh, as an office, we're going to be outcomes-based. This is our outcome. We're going to align all of our activities to be as successful as possible and not just busy. We do that at work. But if that's just logical leadership, basic 101 wisdom, then here's the question that faces us today. We use that logic at work. Do we bring that logic home? Do we stop and say, okay, these are the outcomes that we want. These are our goals for our family. This is what I want out of my marriage. This is what I want when it comes to my kids. This is, this is the outcome we want for our family, or this is the outcome that I want for my future family one day when I get married, or this is the outcome, okay, we're in a new season, we're retired, kids are out of the house, I've got this time. How can I say, okay, what is my outcome that I want? What do I want for my relationship with my spouse now that we're retired? What, is, what do I want now with my relationship with my grandkids now that I have more space? Do we bring that same just basic logical, good, sound leadership, strategic thinking home. And oftentimes we forget, and oftentimes we just get busy. But if our priorities are our family relationships, we want to have that same type of wise thinking. The text we're going to look at is going to encourage us to do that, and it's also, we're also going to take some time to look at how to do that and hopefully walk out the door with some practical thinking on how to adjust our lives when it comes to our family, especially with the use of our time. I want you to open to Ephesians chapter five. We're gonna start in 15. Um, we're gonna see that this just says that basic principle right here in Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. Really what I'm trying to say is that's not worldly wisdom that we're applying to a spiritual thing. That is God's wisdom the world has stumbled across. And that's wisdom that he wants to employ in each of our spheres. Open to Ephesians in your Bible or Bible app, Ephesians 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Verse 15 again, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Pause there with me for a second. Here's, the, uh, here's what's going on. This is the book of Ephesians. Let me just tell you a little bit of the background of where we're at, because we're entering right into the middle of a conversation, right in the middle of a letter to the church in Ephesus. Let me just give you a little background. The city of Ephesus at this time period is one of the largest cities in the world, it is um, top three, easily, largest cities in the world. 
It is massive population, massive in influence. So if you think of the most significant cities, largest cities, uh, most influential cities in our world, Ephesus was one of those in this time period. A little bit about Ephesus. It's not only large, it's not only very cosmopolitan, um, it is very diverse, very ethnically diverse. People from all over the world would come through uh, that space. It's not only diverse, but there is, um, it's very worldly, very permissive in, in how they live, what was considered acceptable. Part of this is because their pluralistic religion. They, they had a lot of gods. They had a couple primary gods. Their main god was a goddess by the name of Artemis, would be the Greek god Artemis, or Diana, the Roman god, would be the other name um, for, for the Romans. That was their main god, but they had all these other gods, and the worship of these gods were part of their culture. So there would be festivities that were all part of this idolatrous worship. That led to very permissive um, behavior. Uh, archaeologists in Ephesus, you can go see the ruins. They're very expansive in ancient Ephesus. You can go see those today. Um, some of the things that they've found have confirmed um, what we've known historically about Ephesus being just worshiping all types of gods and really kind of an anything goes kind of mentality. One of the things that they've uncovered is right in a prominent space in the city, there was a brothel that was very widely advertised. And so um, it, it was just very, very worldly. And so um, if as you're imagining like the big cities of today's society, even the big cities here in our own nation, you think of a large population, very diverse, very pluralistic religiously, and very worldly and kind of permissive, it probably pales into comparison to how Ephesus was. Very much like that, at least how we are, probably more. There are probably things that they tolerated in Ephesus that like even by our just worldly societal standards would be shocked. Okay, so that's how Ephesus worked. Paul has been writing to the church there in that city, and he's being reminded, reminding them who they are in Jesus. He's saying, look, you are dead in your sins, but God made you alive. He raised you back to life. He sent Jesus there by grace you are saved through faith. It's not, you can't do enough good to be saved. Jesus came, brought you spiritually to life. You awoke and realized, wow, there, there is a God that has a plan. He's, we're created in his, in his image for his workmanship. He's got a plan for us. And Paul's like, man, I just pray that you could understand how much God loves you. Just, I wish you could just understand the breadth and the height and the length and the depths of how much God loves you. And this is just telling them who they are because of the work that Jesus Christ did, uh, God in the flesh dying on the cross to save us from our sins and rising again so we can live for eternity. And then he's getting to chapters 4 and 5 and 6, and he's saying, okay, in light of who you are, Live in light of this. And so what he's been talking about is he's just finished saying, look, these are dark, evil times. He says, like, you know, look at your city. You know your city. He says, like, there's just darkness everywhere. There's people doing whatever they want. But you have the light. Jesus has illuminated the truth. Live according to the light. And he's just about, this is why it's so relevant for this series, uh, this series about family and truths for our family. He's just about to start talking about how to live that out within our family context. He's going to talk about marriage and parenting and all those key household relationships. 
But right here, he says, in light of this, it's a dark time, but you have the light. You have Jesus. He's made you a new creation. Live in light of that. He says, man, the command here is Christian. Watch how you walk closely. Like, don't just live. Don't just go day by day by day kind of accidentally. Don't just let your days kind of happen to you. Don't just kind of go with the flow, not really thinking about how you're living. He's saying, no, watch closely. Consider, take inventory of your life and don't live foolishly. Like really stop and say, look, is what I'm doing wise? And then he's going to specifically apply it to one category. Verse 16, um, we'll, we'll read this again. Look at what he says. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here's where he goes. He says, man, make the best use of your time. He said, look, if you're going to watch carefully how you live, if you're going to look over your life, and we say, look, of course I'm going to do that. I, I want to make my life count. I want to make my life matter. I, I, I don't want to have any regrets at the end of my life. He says, okay, well, then here's where his brain goes. He says, okay, then you've got to watch very carefully how you use your time. You've got to think over your time. You've got to take inventory of how you spend your time. He says, because the days are evil, he says, and live wisely according to the will of the Lord. In other words, he's like, look, if you're going to watch carefully over your life, if you're going to say, look, I want to take advantage of my life, I, I want to have no regrets, then here's what he says. You're going to have to look at your time and you're going to have to choose. Are you going to live your time according to the way the Lord wants you, according to the will of the Lord, or according to the dark days that you're living in? In other words, there is a current that your city goes with. There's a culture that you live in. And if you're not specifically taking inventory of your time, we will naturally end up spending our time just the way the city lives and spends their time, the way our culture, the way everyone else around us, the way our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, uh, the way we see as we watch uh, a television show, the way we see people use their time, we'll just naturally do it according to the darkness of our culture. He says, you have the light, so stop and say, wait, am I handling my time according to the way the world does? I, I think about, when I think about the current of our society, I, I think of this one um, moment in the Winnie the Pooh stories. Anyone read or watch the Winnie the Pooh movies, okay? It's okay as an adult to admit that, okay? Because I know a lot more of you have, all right? So when I was a kid, my grandmother would read us uh, Winnie the Pooh, and then I remember watching the little animated shows or movies, and then now as um, with my kids, now we're reading the books and, and watching the movies, and there's this one game that Winnie the Pooh, I think he plays this with the other little characters like a couple times. They would go to a bridge, and um, they would get on one side. The, the name of the game is called Pooh Sticks. I didn't name it, okay, but that's the name of it, all right? And they go to the edge. Some of you are super immature, okay? Just grow up a little bit, all right? Anyway. 
They go to the edge of the bridge, they all get a twig or a stick, and, they, and the current is coming at them, and so they throw the stick into the water, and then all the characters, you know, Piglet and Rue and Tigger and, and Winnie the Pooh, they go to the other side, and they wait to see whose stick will come through the current first, and whoever does, they win, and they have all the strategy on how to make their twig come under the bridge first, and since uh, we've read that as a family, Rebecca and I with the kids, anytime we see like a little stream and there's like a little bridge, we stop and we play this game, okay, and, and there is no strategy whatsoever. Like I've tried, like there's nothing you can do, okay? And I think about that, like just dropping that little twig into the stream and it just gets taken by the current, that is how we naturally will be. There is a current of our culture. It just, it goes. And we're swimming in the current of our culture. We're in the water of our city. We're in the water of the school you go to, the place you work, your family culture, your friend culture, just the overarching culture of our society, Western society. We, there is a culture we swim in. And if we are not intentional, we will just go with the current. And so what Paul is saying is he's like, look, you know that the general current of the world you live in, the city you live in, you know that the general current is not according to the gospel. It's not according to the light of the world, Jesus. So it's not according to that. Now, hopefully the influence of the Ephesian church will be changing that culture. But as it stands right now, the, the culture of that city is not according to the light. And so he says, look, so you've got to look closely because the way we use our time, specifically, he's talking about our time, the way we use our time will seem so normal, so natural. It's like everybody else around me. It's like all of my friends, everybody I know uses their time like this. He says, so you've got to look carefully and say, am I using my time according to this, the dark days that are the culture that I live in? Or am I using it according to the will of the Lord? And that's going to be disruptive to stop and ask that, that particular question. Now, why would we want to spend our time? I mean, it's my time, right? Like, this is my time. I can do with my time what I want to do with my time. Why would I want to just surrender all of the minutes, moments, years, vacation, retirement, whatever it is, why would I want to give that time and do it according to the Lord? I'm basically giving that to the Lord. Because if you're following Jesus, you have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. You are no longer your own. That's what the scripture says. He's our king. We serve Jesus. So our, our lives are not our own. Our bodies are not our own. Our finances are not our own. Our dreams are not our own. Our companies are not our own. Our careers are not our own. Our time is not our own. It belongs to Jesus. We surrender it to him. Say, Lord, I want to do, handle my time according to your will. That pretty much guarantees that we will spend time, our time radically different than almost anyone we know. Unless they too have surrendered completely to the Lord. And even then, there's going to be nuances in how we spend our time. 
But there's another reason why you'd want to turn your time over to the wisdom of the Lord. Because anything of precious value in our lives, we're usually pretty hungry to get mentorship, coaching, advice in our lives on how to best handle that precious resource. We're usually pretty hungry to do that. We, many people have financial advisors, they have career coaches, they have, we, we want to handle, we take it so seriously. So why would we not do that with our time? And who better to look over our time than the one who's walked with and observed how every single human in history has used their time? That's some good experience you can lean on. You think about it, um, whenever we start something new, our impulse, if I'm doing something new, if I'm, uh, if I'm brand new in a career or in an industry or something, then I, I'm in a learning mode. I'm a rookie. Hey, what do I do? You know, you woke up today a day older. You've never been as old as you are now. Sorry. <laughs> you are a day older. You've never been this age before. You don't know how to do this age but there's someone who's walking along with you that's like, please let me guide you. I love you. And I, however old you are, we'll say 21. God's like, I've seen a lot of people. I know how to handle that time the best. You want the Lord guiding you on how to use your time. You want that. And because time is the most of all of the things. Man, the scripture has a lot to say about how to use your gifts, has a lot to say about how to use your resources, how to use your finances. We want to know what the Bible says about all those things, but of all of those, the most precious resource you have is time. I know you know that, but let me remind you of that. It is the most precious resource you have. You may have heard the old adage, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Now that might be stretching it a little bit because some of you are like, look, you trust me, you can't always make more money, okay? But it's conceivable that you could make more money. That is a live possibility. But all you can do with time is you can free up time. You can't make more time. It is the most precious commodity we have. All you can do is steward it and free up the time that you have. They estimate, some estimate, that the most valuable gemstone in all the world is a red diamond. A red diamond is the most valuable per carat gemstone known to humanity. Actually, we have a picture of a red diamond, I think. There we go. There's a picture of a red diamond. That is actually the largest red diamond. It's a little over five carats. Um, they estimate that that five carat diamond is something like $20 million or something like that. And that red diamond, so that is the most, it looks like a ruby, but it is a diamond that is colored just this brilliant red. And what they say is this is the most valuable gemstone in the world, whereas like a regular diamond, you know, you're in like for like a really uh, like a, a almost perfect one carat diamond, you're in the five figures. Um, but compare that to this, you're talking in the millions for one carat. I mean, it's just way, way more valuable than a regular diamond. And here's why. 
Why? It's because they only can get red diamonds from a few different mines, and they only find a few every year. They are extremely rare. But your time, you're like, well, I certainly don't have anything that valuable. Yes, you have something more valuable. Because it's at least a conceivable possibility that they can find more red diamonds. It is not possible to find more time. All you can do is free up the time you currently have. Your time is more valuable than you think. So it's something that we must surrender over to the Lord. So let's employ the same wise. It says, be wise, not as unwise, but as wise. We want to know what the will of the Lord is. So we say, okay, let's apply it to, let's apply that wisdom to our lives. Okay, let's not just be busy. It's so easy to be busy. In our city, I don't think I've ever met someone that I say, that would come up to me and say, hey, I'm not busy. I don't know that human that says, I'm not busy. I'm trying to figure out how to fill up my time. Everyone is busy, but we know just being busy and active is not just without a plan, without being outcomes-based is not wisdom. We would all know that. So let's just stop. Let's take a 30,000-foot view and say, okay, what is the wisest outcomes that we want? Let's go, um, let's go 20 years down the line. There's things that you use your time with, work, school, hobbies, maybe play golf, you're a gamer, a scrapbooker, I don't know, whatever your hobbies are, um, you've got your hobbies, you've got, um, you know, the household stuff you've got to do, your chores, you've got to mow the lawn, you know, or whatever it is, you've got those things. And you've got your, your friendships, You've got your relationships with your children or grandchildren or future children. You've got your, your, your marriage, and then you've got the Lord. What are your goals 20 years from now? Well, hobbies, you're like, man, I, look, in 20 years, I hope I've taken at least a couple strokes off my golf game. Because if I'm still at this place 20 years from now, something's gone very wrong, okay? Like, I've got to at least do a little better there, okay? Uh, school, some of you are like, I better be done. Okay, in 20 years. If I'm still in school 20 years, like, someone punch me. Okay, like, I don't know. Like, I better be done. Like, career. Like, I hope I'm in this kind of position. I hope I have this kind of salary. I hope I have this uh, kind of responsibility. Okay, friendships. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't have any friendship goals, but I'd like to, like, have some friends. So I hope I have some friends. I hope the friends I have now, are, they're, they're deeper, they're consistent, okay? Uh, marriage, you know, yeah, like, I want a healthy marriage. I want a warm relationship. Or I hope I am married in, by 20 years. I hope I have kids. I hope I have grandkids, you know, like, relationship with the Lord. Like, okay, yeah, I want to be in a better spot spiritually than I am now. I definitely don't want to be worse I know I could be better. So yeah, I hope that, that I'm better. But let me ask you this question. If you could only have one or two of those, which would you pick? Is it strokes off your golf game? Is it like, well, look, as long as I'm, if I'm hitting in the 80s, if my marriage is falling apart, like that's cool. I don't think any of us are thinking that. I really hope none of us are thinking that. <laughs> Look, as long as like, I mean like, okay, let me, let me just get like less funny and more, more personal. 
as long as, in 20 years, like as long as, like I, I really hope, I mean, it's hard. I'm, I'm you, know, you know, district manager, but if I could be regional vice president, that's what I want in 20 years. But would you pick that over an intact, healthy, warm relationship with your children? Oh, man, look, don't go there. Okay, look, you got to understand, like, I'm working to provide for them, okay? Like, that's why I do all of this. Like, if I can do that, I can create a better life for my kids. Well, let me ask you, I mean, what do you think your kids would pick 20 years from now? Would they say, oh, you know what? I'm just so proud of my dad. He was the regional or he was the district manager, but now... My dad is the regional vice president. Man, I'm so glad that, you know, my dad worked so hard, my mom worked so hard because when they bought that new car, like they, were, they would have bought this trim level, but because they worked so hard, they bought this trim level and that made my childhood. That just made the whole thing right there. Or would they say, I'm just glad we threw the baseball in the backyard. I'm glad they came to my ballerina recital. I'm glad they coached the team. I'm glad they didn't miss a game. I'm just saying, let's apply the same wisdom that we do at work at home. What's the outcome? Let's just start with the outcome. But here's the thing. It says do what the will of the Lord is. The Lord doesn't just think 20 years down the road. Think a thousand years down the road. He's made you to be an eternal being. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll spend eternity in heaven. Uh, go a million years down the road. What then will matter? Here's what it says in um, 1 Corinthians. Can I read you what he says? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Each one's, or sorry, verse, each, in verse 12 actually. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the final day of time when the judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here's what he's saying. One day we're all gonna give an account of our time, and there's a lot of stuff we spend our time that honestly, with the view of eternity, a thousand years from now, it really, really, really doesn't matter. It's like if you could construct all of our busyness like a house, and then light it on fire. The stuff that just burns down to the ground, the hay, the wood, the straw, it just ignites and burns down and the only thing that remain are the precious gems and the, the precious metals. It's the things that matter for eternity that matter. What is the most important outcome? It's that you will spend eternity with God in heaven. And if there's one thing you could give your life to, you want to have a thriving relationship with God that flows into and prioritizes and breathes health and life into every other part of your life. And then knowing that your spouse has a thriving relationship with God and your kids have a thriving relationship with God so that you can spend eternity with God together. That's what's going to matter in a thousand years, in a million years. You want to talk about outcomes? 
Realizing that you are an eternal being gives you bigger outcomes than anything else you could imagine. Start with the end in mind and apply that to your time, especially first and foremost with your family. How can you make sure you are spending your time not as the culture does, not with the busyness of the culture, but you stop and you spend your time for things that really, really matter one day. Here's what I want to do. Um, the trouble with busyness, this is the real trouble with busyness. You're so busy that you never stop and look closely and take inventory of your busyness. So you can stay busy on the wrong thing for a lot of years and waste your most valuable commodity. So I don't want you to leave here and say, oh, or, or, or um, leave Cooper City or, or stop watching online. I don't want you to leave this moment and be like, yeah, you're right. I should think about my time and then get busy and not. So we're going to do that right here. So what I want you to do is I want you to grab this piece of paper. It was on your seat when you came in. And I'm gonna, we're actually going to take some time here today. We're going to create a quiet space. And I want you to get a pen. Uh, this is um, actually put words on this paper. Like, I don't want you to just think. Okay, like, I want you to, I do want you to think, but I want you to write this down on this paper. Okay, I want you to start on the side that says weekly goals. Here's the outcome in mind. Your outcome is you want to be spiritually thriving. That matters for eternity. And you want to invest in the, re the key relationships in your life. Um, when you're, when suddenly when you're at the end of your life, what are you going to care most about? I think it's going to be the people that you love the most. So we're going to assume those as the biblical outcomes. Your marriage, your relationship with God is your first priority. Your marriage is your second priority. Your children are your third priority. We're going to assume those relationships thriving is a key outcome. The first three key outcomes of how you use your time. Those are the outcomes. So let's start thinking, how do we achieve those outcomes? And what I want you is I want you to start on the side as this weekly goes, and I want you to start writing this out. Okay, if I want a thriving relationship with God, how much time do I want to spend with God every day? What do I think is key in light of the fact that the scripture says, the wise and blessed person spends time with the Lord evening and morning. That's how they get planted by nourishing streams. They set aside time for God. So how much time every day? Is that 30 minutes? Is that an hour? Take some time to think through that. How much time do you want to spend with your family every week? Second question. What do you want with your kids? So you know what? We, we do the dinner thing where we're all just kind of getting our own dinner. We actually, I mean, I, I always envisioned that one day we'd, we'd eat dinner together. Or maybe you're, you're a teenager, young adult, and you say, you know what? One day when I'm married, and I have my own family, I want to eat dinner every day. Man, they applaud you when you're a teenager or high school, college, that you have career goals already. What if you had family goals already? It's actually more important. Well, what do you want to, what, what is the time that you want to do? Look, we want to spend this number of meals together. Or you say, look, I want to do this number of, uh, of this amount of time with my spouse. I want to, I have, you know, two kids or three kids or, or one child or five children. This is what I want to do. Like, I, I want to isolate time with one of them every week. Maybe I take them to breakfast or take them on a date. What is it? What do you want to spend time? Let's start with that using that, that first and foremost. Then third question, how much time do you want to spend in Christian fellowship every month? Do you want Christian fellowship that's taking your kids to student ministry 
coming to church? Do you want to do that just when there's nothing else to use with your time? Or in light of the fact that you say, no, like, this is important for us to be spiritually thriving. Look, I, I had always assumed we would be going to church every week. My kids would be around other Christian kids. I assume we'd have Christian relationships. I want to be in a small group. Put your goal there. Every month, how much time with Christian fellowship? And then you're going to find, like, what's going to have to change to meet these goals? See, on the back, it's got every single day. And I want you to kind of, like, list, okay, Monday, we, you know, we got this, we've got this. And, you know, start mapping it out a little bit in those boxes. Look carefully over your days. Where do you need to create time? And then inevitably, listen, this is the hard part. You can't, like, my, my prayer is that you would be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of it for your own sake for your family's sake, so you have no regrets. Time is a limited commodity. You can't just say yes to things without saying no to something else. So something's gonna have to change. What are you gonna cut? Take some time to fill that out. I wanna just give you a quiet moment. Prayerfully take this before the Lord.
I wanna encourage you to take this and um, if you're young at all, talk about it with a friend. If you're married, talk about it with your spouse. Set aside time. Uh, maybe you should drive it home today. Or maybe as you're set aside some time, think about it. Don't let the, the evening go. If you're married, don't go to bed before you talk about this because you're just going to get busy. We have a very busy city, very busy lives. Let's be wise with how we use our time. For some of you, I want to just challenge you with time. Here's the other interesting thing about time. It's not guaranteed. We don't know when our time's up. And um, if you're in Jesus, when your time's up, you go home. You're actually more alive than you are now. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, there's nothing more important than you can do to settle that right now. Salvation is offered you. It's not a mystery as to whether you're saved for eternity. Jesus died to save you, and that gift is offered you. Receive that today. If that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer. Would everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? you want to put your faith in Jesus, just simply silently in your heart say, Jesus, say this, make this your prayer to him. Jesus, I receive you. Believe you saved me. I don't have to work to be saved. You did the work on the cross, your death and resurrection. But I will live according to that. I'm yours. You're my king. I offer everything to you my time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, if you're watching online, I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. Let us know so we can send you a Bible. We'd love to just get in contact with you. If you're here and that was your prayer, I want you to, on that Get Connected card, I want you to put at the bottom where it says you put your faith in Jesus. Please let us know. We want to let you know about the baptism coming up. We also want to get a Bible to you. You can take that, check that box, put that in one of the offering boxes around the room uh, as you leave so that we can, uh, we can follow up with you. Hey, we're going to close uh, with a song. It's a reminder that he is a, uh, he is a God that we can surrender our lives. So we can surrender our time. Every part of our life belongs to him. And that's a safe thing to do because he he is good. And we're going to declare that together. Would you stand with me as we close with this? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.